Welcome to the Unbound Healing Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie Garland, nutritional therapist and health coach at Grassfed Salsa, and with me is my co-host Michelle Hoover, certified nutritional therapy practitioner and writer of everything you'll find at Unbound Wellness. Here we share everything about overcoming health challenges from autoimmunity to hormone imbalance and more with holistic living, mindset shifts, practical tips, and a real food paleo approach. Remember our disclaimer, the content within this podcast is intended to provide general information and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get on with the show. Okay, so hi, world. (laughs) Hi, guest world. Um, I guess we're doing a podcast now, right? Yeah, I guess we're doing (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. So I guess before we start talking about like what this podcast is, let's just introduce ourselves just to say our names and our websites and stuff. Who who are you, Anne? I am (laughs) Anne-Marie, and I'm the blogger and health coach at Grass-Fed Salsa in Austin, Texas. And I live here with my husband, James, and our two puppies, Cohen and Kiki. So, and I am Michelle Hoover, and I'm the blogger and nutritional therapy practitioner at unboundwellness.com, and I live in Dallas, Texas, and I'm here with my husband and my cat, Stinky, which I'll explain that name later. But anyway, so this is the Unbound Healing Podcast, and this podcast is just all about um, dealing with health challenges. It's for people that are struggling with everything from autoimmunity to migraines to digestive issues to hormonal imbalance. We don't want this to be another podcast of just like how to look good and how to be faster in CrossFit. This is for people like us who are dealing with, you know, serious health challenges that they want to manage to holistically. And we want to provide support and community like around these challenges and give insights on how to manage them more holistically. Yeah. So we'll give more information about that community support later, but that's a big focus around our podcast is how we're going to turn this um, digital product into a community for you all to share and get support. Yeah. And so Anne and I are both from like the AIP, autoimmune paleo slash paleo sphere. So that's what you'll see on our blogs. That's what we talk about on social media. So we talk a lot about, you know, healing foods and bone broth and organ meats and healthy fats and autoimmunity. And we'll talk about all that here for sure. But it's about so much more than just food. Um, And then just more than one you know, type of eating, not just AIP, not just paleo, but real food in general and like a real food holistic lifestyle. So we're planning on talking a ton about food and digestion and gut healing and adrenals, but a lot about just lifestyle and managing this stuff holistically. So more than food. Rather than just promoting one particular dietary label. Exactly. So I guess let's tell our stories and stuff. We wanted to talk with this episode, just really laying the groundwork for like who we are, what our health and healing journeys are, because I don't know about you, Anne, but so many people write to me saying like, oh, how did you heal yourself? Like how many months did it take? How many weeks? And you know, when we put it all online and we put filters over it and make it look super cute and fluffy, it kind of oversimplifies it. So we wanted to tell our stories to show that we came from a background of, you know, dealing with these chronic struggles and then what that journey was like to actually get better because it was not just a, you know, 30 day protocol that brought us to where we are today. Right. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about a podcast format is over time, if you guys feel like you want to continue listening to us, you'll probably hear some more details about our story that we don't even reveal at this point because it is so multifaceted. There's so many different portions of at least, you know, my journey and pretty much everyone's journey. And this is all about our continuing journeys as well. So my story isn't over. I'm constantly refining and testing new things. And I plan to share that with you all. 
Yeah. I was totally going to say that too, that it's like, don't hate us if we don't mention something that all of a sudden later we bring up. Cause there's so many things. So many things. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It was really hard for me to narrow this down to the story that I tell now, but um, I think it'll be interesting, hopefully. And maybe you all can relate. Okay. So my story is really a combination of autoimmunity and eating disorders. So we'll start with the autoimmunity factors. I likely had undiagnosed celiac disease pretty much my entire life. My parents said that I was constantly complaining of not like stomach nausea, but my stomach hurting, which at the time they just thought meant that I was an anxious kid or I was homesick or something like that, but it was me actually saying my stomach hurts. And then I, so they would take me to the doctor. A lot of times they would just write it off. My mom was a nurse and I'm sure anyone with a nurse mother can relate to this, but um, I mean, I pretty much had to have like a broken bone exposed for my mom to take me to the doctor. But anyway, we did end up going to the primary care doctor and I was just diagnosed with IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And I now realize that this is kind of just like a, we don't know what's wrong with you kind of diagnosis. But anyway, it's beyond the point. So my, my undiagnosed celiac disease manifested in severe, severe constipation. And this isn't something that you talk about as a kid. You don't talk about how often you go to the bathroom. So I truly did not know that my constipation was abnormal until I was in college, living in the dorms, living in like a shared bathroom situation. But I would end up going probably about three weeks. Um, I mean, at the longest point, I would go about three weeks before having a bowel movement. And towards the, yeah, it was insane. And towards the end of that, like three week period, I like couldn't, I wouldn't be eating anything because I just like wasn't hungry. I was so backed up and so full. Um, And even then, even with three weeks of not going to the bathroom, I would still need laxatives in order to go. So at that point I would be like, okay, I need to go, like, I feel really bad. I need to go to the bathroom. So I would take laxatives and that was kind of my story. So then um, at some point, I I actually don't remember exactly when it started. I remember it happening in high school, but I don't know if it started earlier than that. I would have these these really serious stomach distensions and pressure. And it was to the point where like one time I I was driving to work and it was so painful that I was like doubled over in pain and crying. And I got pulled over for speeding or I I really don't know what, but the, the cop came up to my, my driver's door and was like, Oh my God, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I think I'm sick. I think there's something wrong. And he like saw my stomach and just let me go because he could tell that there was something, something wrong with me. And then I just drove to work and dealt with it because no one ever knew what was wrong with me. Um, Okay. So then the last kind of symptom that I had was extreme fatigue. And pretty much I was either sleeping or taking caffeine pills and caffeine pills didn't really start until college. So all throughout high school, I was the girl who would maybe go, I was the cheerleader. So I would go to the football games to cheerlead. And my older brother would, would ask me if I wanted to go out afterwards, or my friends would ask me if I wanted to go out afterwards. And I always turned them down because I like literally couldn't, I just had to go home and sleep. So it was definitely taking over my life. Um, In high school, I started drinking diet sodas and then in college turned to caffeine pills just to kind of keep going. It was pretty, it was pretty intense. So the turning point was right at the end of college. And one night I was just um, hanging out with my roommates and all of a sudden the pain and distension in my stomach was so bad that my roommates took me to the emergency room. And I seriously, and they did, we all thought that I had some type of internal bleeding. Like I thought an appendix burst, it was just so intense. So they ran a lot of different tests at the emergency room and ended up diagnosing, I'm putting this in quotes, they diagnosed me with trapped gas and severe anemia. So severe anemia had some 
merit, but the trapped gas was just absolutely ridiculous. I remember my roommates yelling and being like, does this look like trapped gas? Like, what are you talking about? Seriously. Um, But the anemia was something that I actually, I'd always been anemic, but not to this extreme. So it was to the point where they recommended blood transfusions. So I went against doctor's orders, which I now know never to do because your insurance will not pay for the visit if you go against doctor's orders. But I went against doctor's orders and left without the blood transfusions and traveled back to my home city where I had more testing done. So months later um, and weekly iron injections, there, there really was no progress made on my anemia. So they started bringing up all sorts of alternative methods of testing. And I mean, they even brought up like cancer, bone marrow testing, things that were really intense because they just couldn't figure out why they were able to inject me every single week with iron and it wasn't doing anything to, to help me. So I finally went to a hematologist. I told you my, my mom's a nurse and she knows all the good doctors. So she recommended a, a certain hematologist that I go to. If you aren't familiar, that's a blood specialist. And he suggested that I get tested for celiac disease. So I talked to my primary care doctor, and for some reason, she refused to test me for it. Right at this point, I moved out of state to go to grad school. And my mom and I decided that I would just go ahead and try to go gluten-free because I was moving into a house by myself. And basically starting over with food, Uh, I wasn't bringing anything with me. So we just decided, okay, let's just try to go gluten-free. And I wasn't able, since I was starting grad school, I wasn't able to go back home to my primary care doctor to get those weekly iron injections. So for four weeks, I stopped the iron injections. And four weeks later, when I went back and had my blood tested again, the diet alone had brought my levels from severely low to optimal. So just through diet changed it that much. It's amazing. Yeah. And my doctor was like, what did you do? My primary care doctor who had, you know, previously told me that she wouldn't test me for celiac disease. Um, so she asked what, what I did. And I told her it was just a gluten-free diet. And then she's like, oh, well then let's test you for celiac. I'm like, oh my God. So again, <laughs> Keep in mind, this is like before people were really educated on the gluten-free diet. So they um, they went ahead and tested me, but I'd already been gluten-free for about two months at the time that I had the testing done. And so the test came back negative. And I mm-hmm. still remember my doctor. And at that time, I was like praying for, for it to be positive because I just yeah. wanted there to be like a reason for me being sick, you know, mm-hmm. I still remember my doctor calling me and being like, oh yeah, congratulations. It was negative. You're able to eat gluten. I'm like, okay. So despite the fact that my levels have like are completely optimal now, you want me to go back to eating gluten. It was just like, it was just crazy. So my mom told that a hematologist that originally suggested celiac, she told him about my my test results. And he was the one who told me, well, you would have had probably a false negative if you hadn't been eating gluten for two months at that point. Um, So he said that based on the profound health changes that I have, that I likely have it. So the reason I like to tell that story is that I technically do not have a positive diagnosis for celiac disease but because of those profound changes I've had, I never had the desire to, to go back to eating gluten just so that I can have a test tell me that I have something that can't be cured through anything other than diet anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see this so often. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups uh, for celiac disease, and I see people all the time talking about how They went gluten-free and they're feeling so much better. And now their doctor just told them that to have this test, they have to go on the gluten challenge, which means eating gluten every day for a period of, well, some people say one week, but I've heard most commonly about three to to six weeks Mm. of daily eating gluten 
in order to test for it. And in my mind, it's like, if you feel that different when eating it, why would you, what difference would it make a negative or positive test result make anyway? Wouldn't you want to continue not eating gluten anyway? So what difference mm-hmm. does it make? Like, is it worth the damage just for a positive test result? And honestly, that's something that everybody needs to make. They need to make their own decision on. For some people, it may be worth having that positive test result Um Small children, for example, can have, um, I know that they can have like issues with getting their school to agree to being strict gluten-free for them if they don't have that positive test result. So I think these are just, these are just different things to consider um, with your own health journey. But for me, my, my big recommendation is just that you don't always need to wait for a definitive diagnosis especially if it's not going to change your course of treatment. So um, the second kind of facet of my health journey is eating disorders and stress. So um, for about seven years uh, after being diagnosed with celiac disease, I was still uneducated about it. And I was essentially picking gluten-free checks out of gluten-filled checks mix and pulling cheese off of a gluten crust, pizza crust. And oh my gosh. I did that so many times. Salad and <laughs> eating the salad, you know, with crouton crumbs on it. Yep. You know, is terrible. And <laughs> I was, you know, giving myself this low dose of gluten probably on a regular basis. But at the time I, I just truly didn't know what I was doing to myself. And also coming from a background of, eating disorders, it was hard for me to give those types of foods up. And so I think part of that contributed to it. Um, But anyway, so in addition to that, I was also restricting my foods. So I was restricting types of foods. I'd been a vegetarian since I was a kid, but I went to a point where I was a vegan, um, a gluten-free vegan, and then eating, constantly eating low calorie eating processed foods like PB2 or Luna bars or packaged oatmeal and not certified gluten-free packaged oatmeal. That's just kind of another thing. But anyway, I just had this very unhealthy uh, relationship with food at that point. And in addition to that, I was also in a very unhealthy relationship. So every single night, like I, this is another thing that I just remember so clearly. I would feel sick every single night after work. I would come home and I would spend every single evening in bed. And I shared uh, an apartment at the time with my boyfriend who, again, this was not a a healthy relationship for me. Um, So finally, I was just kind of fed up with being, feeling sick still, um, not being able to manage my weight and just being constantly obsessed with what I was eating and and how much I was eating. So I hired a nutritionist and that nutritionist was the first person to ask me, well, she heard me talking. She heard me say every single night after work, I come home and I have to spend the evening in bed because my stomach feels so sick. And she said, well, if this is happening every night after you come home from work, what's happening at home? So this was the first time that I ever thought of lifestyle factors and not food affecting my health. So in in general, the the story here is that it was this constant stress of being in an unhealthy relationship that was causing these or manifesting these symptoms for me. But anyway, after a few weeks after she asked me that and I did my own little soul searching, I broke up with my boyfriend at the time. And then a few weeks after that, I started talking to James, who is now my husband. And that's really when my health journey changed. So yes, I had some profound impacts just going on a gluten-free diet, but really the majority of my health changes happened at the time that I met James. So I did so many changes at this point, and I'm really unsure of exactly what helped the most but I'm just going to give kind of an overview of everything that changed at that point. So you can see that it probably was a combination of all these different lifestyle factors 
in addition to dietary changes that really made the difference. Okay, so I had so much less stress being in a really supportive and loving relationship. At that time, I stopped my distance running. It was actually two months after James and I started dating. I ran my last half marathon ever and dislocated my knee in a hot yoga class that I was doing to recover because I was just constantly obsessed with working out at that point. So I was kind of forced into stopping running for a moment as I was recovering from this knee injury, but really it just, I never really picked it back up after that. I started eating adequate calories because James, which I'll talk more about later, but James is really into health. He had been on his own health journey for about 10 years prior to me meeting me. So he was into high calorie foods, he was into, or just adequate calories in general, um, healthy foods and all of that. So he started cooking for me and I had to kind of force myself to not be counting my calories. I stopped stressing about dietary labels. So I stopped worrying about being a strict vegan and started eating fish. I started, I kind of transitioned into a pescatarian way of thinking. I started consuming more fat. I started drinking butter coffee several mornings a week. I started a specific supplement routine for hormone balance. And I really think that was a huge part of it, but um, that's a different story. I went completely 100% gluten-free. I eventually transitioned into AIP. And that's also when some really, really profound health changes happens, happened. But again, that's another story. And then I went back to school to study nutrition after my nutritionist changed my life for the better. And then I've been on this path ever since. I want you to realize that this is just because I've made all these changes, I'm still not 100%. There are still things that about my health that I would like to be better, but I feel really great. And anyway, I just want to make this more human and make you realize or help you realize that the uh, that there are still things I am dealing with. So I want to talk about some of those. So I still have um, I, some struggles in my lab work, and one of which is low alkaline phosphatase levels. So this is something that actually a lot of doctors aren't familiar with. They usually see alkaline phosphatase levels as high, which can indicate liver issues. It's not incredibly common for them to be low. It can be kind of an indication of a, of a variety of things, but it often indicates malabsorption of nutrients. So every doctor has kind of told me, oh, well, then you need to eat a really nutrient-dense diet. And yes, that's true, but I, I already do that. So I already eat a nutrient-dense customized AIP diet. When I say that, I just mean that I do restrict some AIP foods still that I know are triggers for my autoimmunity, but I've reintroduced many of them, which I know help me feel great. So knowing that I do that, um, I do what a doctor would tell me to do, to eat a nutrient-dense diet, and I still have these issues, it's likely out of my control, or at least out of my control at this point in time. So it's really important to give your body, give yourself some grace rather than guilting yourself for not being perfect over it. What I'm told is that being an undiagnosed, having undiagnosed celiac disease pretty much my entire life is likely what contributed to so much intestinal damage that even still I'm having troubles absorbing the foods that I'm taking in. So the healing of my digestion for proper absorption is likely going to be really slow. I mean, when you think about the fact that I was still eating gluten until I was 21 years old, I mean, it may take me 20 years before I really have a healthy digestion. I always recommend my clients when they ask me, well, how long is it going to take for me to feel better? I always ask them, like, how long did it take you to get to this point. If it took you a year, you can expect yourself maybe six months to a year before you can really get better. And it all depends on the amount like of energy that you're putting towards healing. So am I 
drinking bone broth every single day, taking collagen every day, taking glutamine, taking these things I know would heal my digestion every single day? No, but am I taking them on a regular basis? Yes. So I'm not putting forth a huge amount of energy to heal my digestion really quickly. And that's okay because for me, I know that I tend towards stress and I have to give myself some grace and maybe take things a little bit slower because that's what works for me. So you just have to figure out what's going to work for you and what's going to be best for you. So another thing that I still deal with, and it probably goes back to the alkaline phosphatase, um, you know, low absorption issue, but I still do have a slow digestion. Now it's nothing like the three week thing before. I don't need to take laxatives to go, but I am not on the one to three time a day schedule like most people are. And that's also just something that I have to deal with. Um, I do know certain things that can help it. And so I try to, to keep those um, implemented in my life on a daily basis and just keep focusing on making that a priority because I do know how important it is to have a regular digestion. Okay, and then the last thing that I want to talk about is why I chose the health coach. A nutritional therapy path that I did. So um, I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and I chose that path. I did a ton of research on the Nutritional Therapy Association, IIN, uh, Bowman College. I, I went and looked at a variety of different methods to kind of get this nutritional coaching. I really wanted to help people. And so I knew I wanted to be a health coach the reason why I chose IIN was actually because I felt like it was going to help me with the business aspect of health coaching. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but here's, here's why I chose that. So I mentioned before that James, is he's had a long history with health, and he's worked in a health industry for I mean, at this point, he's worked in the industry for about 15 years, but he is literally one of the most educated men I know about the type of nutrition that I believe in. And so instead of me going to a school where I felt like I could learn information from them on nutrition, James and I had weekly nutrition dates to supplement. So he and I would talk about different nutritional topics. He would talk to me about, you know, teach, he basically was my teacher to give me that nutritional information that I was lacking in, that my own studies were lacking in. And then what I got from IIN was mostly just business coaching, um, which I feel like they're very, very strong in, but I don't recommend IIN for everyone because if you don't have a method to get that nutritional coaching background, then it's, it is lacking in that area. Um, the other good thing, though, that I will say about IIN taught me is they have a, a theory called primary foods and secondary foods. And your primary foods are actually like different lifestyle factors and how those affect your health. And again, I, I talked earlier about that when my nutritionist told me or asked me like, what's happening at home? And I realized that lifestyle factors were really affecting my health. Um, but IIN kind of, kind of taught me how to look for that in my clients, how to find other areas that are likely contributing to some health issues rather than just food and nutrition. It's interesting. So after IIN, I, I started health coaching and even still, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more about teaching um, and being able to kind of create customized protocols for my clients. So one of my IIN buddies actually recommended the Health Sciences Academy for Nutritional Therapy. So that was my supplementary education. And that was kind of my, my journey with uh, becoming the health coach and blogger that I am today. So I never heard your story like start to finish like that. Yeah, Only I don't ever. even... Yeah, I don't even think I've really written it on my website, which is really crazy. I need to do that. Yeah, it's a lot to like even recall all of that yourself, right? Yeah, I know there's like definitive points that I can remember throughout it. But yeah, I, I 
forgotten a lot of it. And, and Mm -hmm. like I said, there are so many different changes. One thing that I think is interesting is when I've, so Michelle and I are both in a couple different blogger Facebook groups where we can just kind of share different stories. And one person once asked one person who I, I really know and trust once asked about what to do when your dietary theories and your dietary suggestions change. So for example, drinking butter coffee. And I mentioned that's part of my story. And now she doesn't drink butter coffee and she wants to try a medical medium diet. Well, how do I bring that up to my readers without sounding like I'm contradicting myself? And my big theory with that is that we we need to stop identifying with these different protocols as a means mm-hmm. to like heal our entire lives. Yeah. So I drank butter coffee for a period of time and I 100% believe that that helped me to optimize my hormones coming from a previously very, very low fat diet. Now, I don't think that it was necessary for me to heal. I think there were other ways I could have done that, but that's what worked for me. And now, intuitively, I just don't feel the need to drink butter coffee anymore. And I think that's fine. So it's it's like now I, I talk more about AIP because that's what I relate to right now. But what we, what we need to realize is like we go through these different theories and what may, get, what may help us get healthy may not keep us healthy in the long term. So we mm-hmm. need to like be able to give ourselves grace and fluctuating with what we're what's working for us. Yeah. There's phases for sure. But yeah, it was hard for me to write all of this out too, but I'm going to give it a go at my story, um, with my story. And if you guys follow me, I pepper it in a lot. I try to share a lot of what I've been through and what I'm going through, but I always, it, it quote unquote starts at my Hashimoto's diagnosis, but it goes way back from there. Um, I was always pretty unhealthy-ish as a kid. Um, I was born just with a lot of food aversions that by the time where my parents started actually feeding me, you know, real food, graduating from baby food, I, like, all I wanted was Cheerios and orange juice. Like, I never wanted anything with fat in it. I never wanted anything with meat. And I just always had these food aversions. And, you know, I was just brushed off as a picky little kid. It wasn't anything. Um, And I went like that for a really long time. Then looking back at it, I see all these huge red flags at, uh, you know, I just always had really bad skin and really terrible nails. And I was you know, in third grade and my teacher was complaining to my parents that I was always half asleep in class and not because I wasn't trying to sleep. I was trying to sleep. I just couldn't. And I was just constantly fatigued. So, and my diet was just like all pizza and Cheerios is what sustained me for the first like 20 something years of my life. But Anyway, so I went like that for a long time and it all kind of started to come to a head and uh, just escalate a little bit more. When I was around 15, 16 in college, um, I continued to you know, stay pretty unhealthy and I went on a little bit of like a health kick when I was around 15, 16, which I'm still growing my own wings with talking about it more. There's a guy like walking around in the alley of my backyard. That's weird. <laughs> But um, anyway, seriously, though, there's a dude back there. All right. Anyway, I just had to say that there's no way that I could just sit here and act like that wasn't happening. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, so uh, when I was like 15, 16, I was always overweight because of the food that I was eating and because I was so undernourished. Um, You know, my body cues were crazy for what it was telling me to eat and my it's very hypoglycemic, um, just gaining a lot of weight. And then, you know, just watching enough TV and magazines, like everybody, um, you want to be thin and I wanted to be thin. And I, you know, went on definitely some binge restrict cycles, even back then, which I'm working on a blog post about, I promise it's very hard (laughs) to recall all that, but, um, So I started 
you know, being a little bit more health conscious and feeling a little bit better. Um, but at the same time, I was going through a lot of stress in high school, a lot of, you know, just social crap and high school sucks. And I don't want to talk about it because we know they're listening. So, uh, <laughs> but I, so I had a lot of stress going on and I remember I had this summer job, this after school summer job, um, at a local store and I would get really bad headaches when I worked there, just horrible, horrible headaches. And I went to the doctor and I said, I'm getting these headaches all the time. And he said, you know, take over the counter painkillers and says Advil, Advil, Tylenol, all that stuff. So I took it and I took a lot of it. I took entirely too much of it. And, um, I would, I used to carry around like a bag full of NSAIDs, like in my pocket because I was just always feeling so bad. And every time I went to the doctor, that's what they said to do. So I didn't know otherwise what to do. Um, that's how I was always taught. So I definitely, um, don't blame the drug companies a hundred percent because I also misused it. But obviously these things are serious and these things can really harm you. So I started getting worse digestive issues than I had had um, my entire life of just kind of the food aversions. But I started just getting really ill. Like I would just have really bad um, bloating and um, just really bad stomach pains all the time. And I remember asking my mom if she could buy like different brands of bread and turkey and whatever, you know, I was eating because I thought that the food was bothering me, but uh, I didn't know what was going on. And so I'm taking all these NSAIDs and around that time, within about six months of really just overdosing on them, um, I started fainting and uh, getting heart palpitations. And that was completely new to me. I remember very vividly the first time that I had my first heart palpitation. I was just sitting on the couch watching this terrible movie with my dad. I like terrible entertainment. And um, <laughs> maybe that's why my heart was palpitating so bad, but really. Um, so I started getting these heart palpitations and I told my dad like, hey, what's going on? And he was like, oh, it's a heart palpitation. It should be a problem, but don't let it continue. You know, let me know if that happens again. So it happened again and again and again, and it kept happening. And um, I was at my job and I was standing there and I had this crazy, the hardest heart palpitation that I had had yet. And I fainted. It just fell over. And that was really scary. Um, I was about 16, 17 at the time. And I just progressively got worse and worse that I was losing hair. I was really fatigued. At first I was losing weight. Um, I was so, so tired and so sick all the time. I really uh, was missing a ton of school. And uh, I went on like that for months and I went to a ton of different specialists, like every specialist you could think of, cardiologist, chiropractor, like everybody I was going to them. And they were all kind of looking at me like, uh, like it's probably your thyroid. But I went to my general care practitioner right when it first started happening. And they told me, oh, you drink too many energy drinks. It's like, I don't drink energy drinks. You drink too much coffee. I don't drink coffee. Like, well, you're fine. Like, you just go. I'm like, okay. So all these specialists were telling me it's your thyroid. I was asking the doctor, can you test my thyroid? They said your TSH is normal. Um, and I went on like that for pretty much my entire senior year of high school. And I had to scale back on a lot of those things in high school that everybody does. Um, they kept testing my thyroid. And finally, uh, my TSH showed something that it was abnormal to where they referred me out to a pediatric endocrinologist. I was so eye roll at the time because I'm like 17. Like, why am I at the baby doctor? But I was excited to finally get some sort of, uh, you know, I was excited to get closer to something that could actually be my diagnosis. So he did a full thyroid panel on me and he found out that I was, uh, indeed dealing with Hashimoto's disease. So the difference between Hashimoto's disease and just hyper or hypothyroidism is, um, so <laughs> that now he's digging something in my backyard. <laughs> I would like bang on the window. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I mean, there's like an alley area in my backyard, 
But anyway, so the difference between Hashimoto's and just thyroid uh, imbalance, thyroid issues, is Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease. So whereas thyroid issues are just an imbalance of thyroid problems, Hashimoto's is your immune system targeting your thyroid as if it were a foreign invader that is a foreign substance. So you can mask the symptoms by taking thyroid hormone, but you're not going to stop the attack against the tissue. So your tissue will continue to be attacked and the attack can turn on something else. So the doctor, I didn't know that at the time. The doctor told me just take Synthroid and no, levothyroxine was what I was initially put on. Um, levo and bi. So I was uh, presenting as hyperthyroid at the time. You can present as both. The misconception is that Hashimoto's is just hypothyroidism, but you can present um, hyper if it goes the other way for too long. So I had likely had Hashimoto's for a very long time and the stress and the NSAIDs and all that just kind of triggered it. So um, I went into college as a uh, studying to be a registered dietitian actually, because I love food and I had kind of gotten into this. Um, I kind of knew that nutrition, there was something to it. I just didn't know what yet. So I started going to school to be an RD and, uh, I went gluten-free. I think I figured this all out from Wikipedia at the time that I should probably be going gluten-free. And I found a gluten-free list on Wikipedia. So I went to Sprouts looking for everything that said gluten-free on it. And I got that, um, definitely not a real food approach at all. And I did feel a little bit better, but, um, it was still very shaky. And, uh, the more I progressed in college, I, started swinging the other way, kind of gaining weight, being even more fatigued. And at my worst, I was sleeping for 18 hours a day in college where I would literally just get up to go to classes, um, do homework and come back and sleep. So obviously I was super antisocial, did not have any social life. I had really bad social anxiety just because I was not functioning properly. So um, it went on like that for a while. And Eventually, I think it was my junior year of college. I went like that for quite a bit. Um, and I remember one moment I was in the gym because I I was really into, um, you know, like cardio kickboxing and stuff like that. And I was in the gym trying to lift weights and I was trying to lift like 10 pounds and I just physically couldn't. I was so weak and I was so tired and I just wanted to cry right there in the middle of the gym. Like I'm 20 something years old. Like I eat a good, a presumably good diet. Like what is wrong with me? And I told my mom, like, I can't do this anymore. Something's got to give. So, um, we found out through just a family friend about a holistic doctor and she is how I had understood the autoimmune gut connection, which I'm sure we will talk plenty more about all through this. But um, as I said earlier, one of the triggers for autoimmunity is stress, uh, genetics, Hashimoto's was in my family and your gut health. So I pretty much destroyed my gut. My gut was not good to begin with. And um, when we have a really damaged gut, um, basically a quote unquote leaky gut permeable intestine state, um, we basically have foods like gluten, like soy, a lot of the other foods that we deal with. But number one for Hashimoto's is usually gluten. So we're eating these foods. They're leaking through our intestines. We're not absorbing nutrients, that's for sure. And um, our body is attacking these foreign proteins. Gluten isn't supposed to be floating around in our body outside of it. So our immune system is getting confused. The protein in gluten looks like our thyroid. The molecules look similar. So a lot of the time with women, the thyroid is kind of the weakest link for hormones. Um, so 
the attack turns on the thyroid or it turns on some other tissue or symptom when the body is just kind of in this constant flare state because we're eating all the time. So if food is constantly leaking through our digestive system and our body just kind of going crazy about it, we're putting ourselves at risk for this. And more people deal with this than they want to admit or that they realize. So I was really grateful at the time to get this diagnosis and uh, we ferreted out a lot of the things that were bothering me, um, nightshades was a huge one for me. Um, tomatoes, potatoes, red pepper, eggplant, and I ate a lot of ketchup. Your girl eats ketchup, yo. Um, and so I, I did kind of like a 90 day protocol with her and I felt the way I like to describe it, I wear glasses and contacts. And when I was, you know, in like fifth grade, when I first put on glasses, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know the world could look this clear. And that's exactly what it was like getting rid of those trigger foods for me. Um, I never knew how good I could feel, but, uh, that only went on for so long really, because I still had a really crappy mindset about it that, um, you know, I cleaned up my diet and I felt a lot better, but I just kept feeling sorry for myself. Um, and I would look at other people eating pizza and nachos and whatever and think, why can't I eat that? You know, why can't I do this? Um, I look at my, you know, the app Time Hop, where you can like look back at your social media. I look back and years ago, it's every day, all I would be doing is just complaining about how hard my diet is, how hard my life is, how sick I am. This is so terrible. It's so horrible. So I just had a really crappy attitude about it. Um, so I went like that from the time, and I was also in some, you know, really unsupportive relationships where they just thought that what I was doing was crap. And um, so I just didn't have any support around it. I ha didn't have any, I wasn't supporting myself. So I knew that these were problems. I knew that I could manage it holistically, but I never really committed. Um, and I finally, it came to a head a couple of years ago, just a few years ago, um, three or so, where I had a really big flare. Um, I went to the doctor and they found all these problems wrong with me. It's a long story. I almost wound up having to have surgery at all these elevated everything ever. So I was like, okay, this is, this is it. Like, I'm too young to do this. I don't want to do it anymore. And I finally just turned around and said, like, I don't need pizza to be happy. Like, I, I don't need the normal pizza that you get at Pizza Hut to be happy. Like, I don't have to hate this process and I can learn to love it and I can learn to make a healthy lifestyle work for me. That just because it doesn't, you know, it isn't as easy as, uh, you know, just going to Wendy's or whatever, I can still make it work and I can find ways to love it. So I finally just gave myself permission to love it. Um, I found the AIP community online and I never really understood, um, you know, the nightshades and the grains and gluten and like all these issues that I had, that it was one thing. So what my issues were really aligned really well with the AIP community. And that's why I started blogging and I was like, oh my gosh, there's all these people out here who are making things that are great and they love it. I can love it too. So I'm still making missteps, but it's a process and I'm committed to that process. And like Anne did, I wanted to share kind of just like what changed, um, what I did in my life that helped me start feeling better. Um, first, like, how do I feel better? So, you know, in the beginning when I was a kid, I never wanted to eat meat ever. I never wanted to eat fat. I only wanted to eat like pizza and chicken nuggets. And, um, now I eat a way wider diet. Um, it wasn't until I was like 20 something until I had eaten bacon. And when I started, um, doing all this stuff, I had a dream about bacon one night. Like my minerals were coming back. My digestion was coming back. My body was like, it's time. And I woke up the next day and I went and ate bacon and I never looked back. And I ate lots of ghee. I had never had butter until it was too late. And I already knew that I couldn't really tolerate the lactose and butter. I only had margarine my whole life. So I just ate really bad and I didn't really even want good food. And now 
I crave good food and I want it. And I look at, you know, margarine and stuff like that and I don't want it. Um, so what else changed? I'm not fatigued anymore for sure. Um, I can go through the day without having to take and like, if I'm taking a nap one day, like that's a really rare day. And I was probably up really late. Um, I'm not fatigued anymore. My hair has grown back. Um, I don't have mystery digestive issues anymore. It used to be that I could eat a soup with lots of vegetables in it and something would bother me and I just wouldn't really know what. And non-AIP foods are bothering me for sure. But then I've gone through this whole gut healing state. I don't have these mystery like, uh, something just didn't work and I don't know what. If something goes wrong, I usually know what it is because it's so abnormal. And I don't, just don't have the weird bloating and horrible pain that I did anymore. So... Like I said, I'm not perfect, but um, just the change that this has all made in my life is huge. Um, so what changed? What did I do? Um, first, I stopped going to CrossFit. I was really big into uh, like the heavy lifting and like I'm not a strong or cool person unless I can like lift a mini Cooper off of a dog, like that (laughs) mentality. That was me. Um, and it was just bad and it was just bad for me. Um, there were periods where it was good, but it had gotten to the point where it was just too much on my body. So I said goodbye and, um, I still, weight lift. I I really like lifting weights. That's just kind of what my body likes to do. Um, I try to take walks as often as possible most days and I really like yoga. Um, so I still do stuff. It's not like I, uh, you know, had to quit exercise altogether. I just quit the really intense stuff that wasn't serving me anymore. Um, I stopped eating the stuff that I knew was horrible for me. So I wasn't quote unquote cheating with, pizza and tomatoes anymore when I just knew that it was bad for me. Um, I gave myself the, you know, I've respected myself enough to where I wasn't just eating junk all the time. Uh, I stopped feeling bad for myself, which is huge. And Anna and I both talked about already that, um, you know, just giving yourself permission to think that this process is, um, a worthy one and one that you can do and one that isn't hard and restrictive, but one that is empowering and healing. It's just so, so huge and important. And now I love this lifestyle and I gave myself permission to love it. And I stopped feeling bad when I was at birthday parties and watching people eat you know, pizza and cookies and cakes. And I'm an NTP and I tell my clients, um, you know, when they're talking about like, oh, but other people can eat this or that, da, da, da. like they probably have a lot of the same issues that you are dealing with and they just aren't addressing them. So you're the smart one. You're welcome. Um, I went through the NTA, which I'll talk about in a second, but that opened up a lot of doors for me, it opened up a lot more understanding of the body and how I could optimize my own body. My husband is the most amazing human, like, ever. He's probably a saint. Last night, he indulged me in a 25-minute conversation about cheese. He didn't want to talk about cheese. I wanted to. And he just sat there naming cheeses that he liked, and we talked about them. So he's a wonderful person. And um, he makes my healing journey so much better because he doesn't judge me for it. He's just great about it. Um, It's a huge part. Prayer and my relationship with God is huge um, as well. Also working on a blog post for that. um, Another really hard, big one to write. And then just doing what I love. So, um, you know, not wasting my time on crap that I don't like and doing this, uh, living this journey and doing NTA work and doing uh, the blog, doing what you love and just being happy and giving yourself permission to be happy is huge. And finally, what I'm still dealing with because um, I'm still not perfect. I never will be. Um, These are all kind of related to each other. But number one, um, I'll talk about this a lot more as we go, but I kind of just kind of born with a lot of gallbladder and fat digestive issues. I prided myself with 
my entire life and eating a totally low fat diet, I would be like, I had no fat in my diet. Yeah, that's not good. You definitely want fat in your diet. So I went with no fat. I hadn't really even started eating any fat until I was in my 20s and I'm 26 now. So I had a lot of gallbladder issues. All of the women in my family have gallbladder issues. Um, And uh, that affects a lot, you know, whether or not I'm a fat burner or a sugar burner, and I'm working on healing that. Um, and kind of part of the way that I'm working on healing that is I am dealing with some mercury toxicity now. That's a that's a big bomb. Um, so I went to my function, a new functional medicine doctor, about a year ago now, and I told her that in the next few years, uh, my husband and I wanted to have a baby, and I wanted to be as healthy as I could and ferret out any like sleeping giants in my body. And we found one, um, that I was super mercury toxic and we can talk way more about that later. I'm working on a blog post when I can wrap my head around it better. We're not totally sure how I got it yet. So that's another story, but right now I am doing a detox protocol prep, which is in turn also working on my gallbladder liver function because through your bile excreted through your gallbladder is kind of how you your body passes toxins toxins are stored in the fat and you need to be properly moving fat through your body to pass toxins so you see how that's a problem if your gallbladder isn't working well so um, I'm on a supplement protocol right now. Uh, <laughs> it's very expensive um, to optimize my gallbladder function and um, doing infrared sauna stuff like that, just kind of the more gentle detox things. And then um, I'm going to do a, uh, a whole, another test to see where my levels are at, and then we'll take it from there. So, and then finally, I'll do, go through this kind of quick, why I chose the NTP and blogger path. So I just wrote a blog post on this on my blog. Um, if you want way more information about the NTA, um, if you just search Nutritional Therapy Association on my blog, you'll find all about it there. And I did a lot of research on what would be the right nutrition path for me. And kind of like Anne said, IIN is the one that's known for doing um, really well with business. And my undergrad, my degree is in digital marketing. It's in emerging media and communication, but it's technically marketing. And my parents are both entrepreneurs. I've been around business my whole life. So I felt really confident in the marketing and business um, department, but I wanted to learn a lot more about nutrition. So the NTA is awesome at that. So that's why I chose this path. And um, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's our stories in a nutshell. It's so funny because as you were talking, I kept thinking like, oh yeah, I also have this autoimmune disease. And oh yeah, I also had like postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, like having heart palpitations. Yeah. Anyway, there are just like so many things, like overlapping things that you said that are also my journey. So mm-hmm. continue on with us throughout this podcast, and I'm sure you will hear all of those different stories. Layers. Yes. So we wanted to end this with five random and fun facts about each of us. I am going to start. So I'm actually not in the health industry full-time. It is not my full-time career. I am a part-time designer, part-time health coach. And I actually, this is pretty much just by choice. I truly find design so fulfilling. My undergrad and graduate degree are both in design. And I find it so creatively fulfilling that I truly may not ever give it up. There may come a time where I have enough time for like crafting or jewelry design or just like other aspects of being, you know, creatively fulfilled that I feel comfortable giving that up. But for right now, I truly love it. And I've also been teaching design courses in higher education for the past seven years. So curriculum development is my favorite thing. Um, As a health coach, I love creating online programs versus working one-on-one with clients. And I think that kind of stems from my teaching background. Okay, fact number two. I love brunching, especially when breakfast tacos are involved. 
Number three, I am a huge music person. I found nothing more flattering than someone telling me how much they love one of my Spotify playlists. I love TV and movies so much more than reading. And I am a total snuggle bug. And I am always looking for ways to make myself more cozy no matter where I am at. It's relatable. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, um, I met my husband, Daniel, on Match.com. I often just joke how I basically Amazon primed a husband because I was on there for literally a week and uh, he messaged me and he was the only guy on match.com that I met and less than a year later we were married. So um, it was pretty perfect and apparently I do everything on the internet. Um, My cat's name is Stinky. (laughs) Um, I, I love the cat and he basically the way that we found him is he was a stray and it was snowing it does snow in dallas yes um and we took him in he was my mom found him outside and she just threw him in the car because she couldn't leave him and he was a stray so we were considering whether or not we were going to keep him and of course in my mind he was already mine because he was the greatest cat and my husband was a lot more resistant so we didn't name him and he just gave him like stupid names hoping that I would like reject him if he gave him dumb names so he called him stinky and I was like that's adorable and like two years later appears stinky um so that's how the cat got his name. Um, so my bachelor's degree, I started studying dietetics, but it, like Anne, um, I like to think of myself as a pretty, you know, creatively driven person and doing the RD really just stifled my creativity. And I wanted to have a business and learn how to create things and create, you know, books and movies and all and write. And I couldn't do any of that there. So I found a program, um, called Emerging Media and Communication, which was my undergrad. That's why I got my bachelor's degree in. And that's why I love blogging so much because it really um, focused on that. And we had blogs in every class, I swear. So um, I recently just left in that same breath of doing marketing. I recently just left my career, like my full-time job um, in ministry. So Um, I was doing uh, advertising for internet ministries um, and it was very sad to leave that because it's a great thing to be doing, but I just felt God calling me to do something else. So um, here I am part-time in my own business and part-time still doing marketing stuff and still being able to help ministry, which is great. I love that. Um, So for, I'm really into like user generated content. I love you know, the Simpsons and the office and stuff like that too. But ever since blogs and YouTube and that first came out, I was a really early adopter of all that stuff. And I was really into Instagram stories and YouTube, like I'd way rather watch like a YouTube video than a TV show. So I'm really into that. And I love being part of that space. Um, Finally, I'm from Long Island, New York. That's where I grew up. Um, I live in Texas now. I moved here, moved to Texas when I was like 12 or so. Um, and I'm, I'm here. I don't know. (laughs) I don't love or hate Texas either way, but I would literally just drop everything to live in either Boulder, Colorado or Florence, Italy. Um, Florence, I studied abroad there and I had my honeymoon there and then Boulder just because I'm like a hipster. So yeah, those are some more things about me. So let's talk about kind of where else everybody can find us. Yeah. So you can find me, Anne-Marie, on social media. I'm at, I think everywhere at Grassfed Salsa. I'm most active on Instagram, although I, unlike Michelle, am not a huge uh, social media fan. So I do my best with Instagram, but that's pretty much all I can can allocate time for. So um, less so on Facebook and all those other places. Oh, and my website. My website is grassfedsalsa.com. And uh, yeah, and then we'll be here every Thursday. Yeah, and I'm uh, 
everywhere. I am Unbound Wellness. So uh, unboundwellness.com. I put out, um, right now I'm putting out two blog posts a week, one recipe, and then one just kind of general wellness or other blog post. Um, send out emails every week. So I try to keep lots of stuff, new stuff for you guys on the blog. And then I am on Instagram, probably most often I'm on Instagram story, just kind of bopping around doing nothing or cooking, you know, um, what I do all the time. Um, so yeah, you can find us there and here every Thursday. So like, and subscribe and leave us a review and stuff. Yeah, we're new at podcasting, so give us some <laughs> some feedback. Also, uh, we are creating a Facebook group for you guys. So again, we want this podcast to be more than just a space where we talk. We want there to be a place for you to ask questions, for you to get feedback from us and from others who may be dealing with any type of chronic illness issues or healing process. So you can find us at our Facebook group. It's a free private Facebook group. Nobody else will see your comments except those within the Facebook group. So it's private. Um, You just have to request to join. So that's at Unbound Healing on Facebook. And we'll probably link that in the show notes too to make it easier to find. But Show notes. Yeah. All right. Totally. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's it from us this week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unbound Healing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes and leave us a review. Until next time, you can find more from me, Anne, at grassfedsalsa.com and more from Michelle at unboundwellness.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.